If this killer does come back, and he's for real, there are a few things that you gotta remember. Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But here's a critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. And it is a force to be reckoned with. So in closing, let me say, good luck, Godspeed, and for some of you, I'll see you soon. And we are going. Hey everybody, welcome back to podcast part three, the part three podcast. I am Sam. And I'm Will. Thanks for sticking with us after all these weeks. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, discussion of the Matrix uh, Revolution spliced together from a multi-day technical glitch-ridden marathon. And we're back, and uh, this week uh, we're going back into the slasher world, and we're going to Hollywood, because it's time for Scream 3 from the year 2000. (laughs) And Will, I guess I gotta ask, what's your favorite scary movie? My favorite scary movie? I think I might actually have to go with the original Scream on that one. I mean, I, I... there are a lot of scary movies I like, but I think that might be my favorite. You know what mine is? What's yours? My life. Because <laughs> I'm a Mark Kincaid, professional red herring. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, uh, uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, there's a new Scream out. It's technically Scream 5, but it's definitely uh, a requel. I actually watched it today. Uh, Will has not seen it, so I we, have won't, not seen it. we won't go into spoilers. I'll keep everything nice and vague. Uh, it's definitely uh, leaning into the idea that it's a, a, a requel, a legacy sequel in the spirit of The Force Awakens or Halloween 2018. And it, it brings back uh, your your all your favorite characters that have made it through so far. Uh, and fittingly, one of them is now a drunk, gross burnout living in a trailer. I won't say which one, but yeah, they do that. Every one of these movies fucking does that. Because someone has to deal with their trauma in the most unhealthy way possible. Well, just in the least subtle way possible. (laughs) It's like, you know my life is bad because I'm drinking a beer and it's daytime out. (laughs) But rolling back the clock. Let's go back in time. It's 1996, and horror movies suck. The 90s were not a good era for horror movies, at least not in the U.S. Uh, You had, like, Silence of the Lambs at the beginning of the 90s, and that led to, you know, your classy horror, like Candyman and Seven. And Horrors became thrillers, because no one wanted to give best picture to a horror movie. Uh, (laughs) The Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers franchises went either dormant or kind of went off the rails. A lot of franchises went direct to video like Hellraiser. And then a little movie comes along called Scream. And it's uh, directed by Wes Craven. And it's written by Kevin Williamson, who created Dawson's Creek which uh, is what we had in the 90s instead of the entirety of the CW was just this one show called Dawson's Creek. (laughs) And Scream definitely just shot in the arm for horror as a genre, for better or worse, depending on your opinion of the movie. Uh, It was a self-aware meta before we were using the term meta horror movie, slasher movie specifically, where all the characters in the movie 
had watched the movies that they're ostensibly in. <laughs> yes, so they know the rules. They know the rules of how, why you get killed or how to survive a scary movie. And it was fucking huge. Like, oh, it was, yeah, it was enormous. I, my funny story is Halloween 1995. I go as a... I went as sort of a just sort of generic ghoul, like a scary ghost guy, because I'd found a mask I really liked at CVS, and it was <laughs> Ghostface, but before it was Ghostface. And so the next Halloween, I thought I was I was the ultimate hipster because I was into Ghostface, and then the next Halloween, everyone had a Ghostface mask. So I was I was ahead of the curve, Will. I was there. <laughs> Uh, my my funny scream story is that when it came out on video, someone, a girl in my class had a, a, a party and everyone was going to watch it. And uh, I had my friend who had bought uh, the Ghostface mask. We were, we came up with this plan that when Ghostface first showed up, we were going to burst in. And, uh, and we did and scared everyone uh, and they all ran out. And it was very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was i would say for our generation it was our slasher franchise yeah it was it was new it started with uh, uh, us and kind of was pretty contained to a certain amount of time right at the scream comes out in 96 they rush scream to it comes out about a year later and i i think i watched it as much as scream over the years yeah and then a few years later we get scream three which is is it very much is the end of a trilogy. It's it yep. says so itself, but it's uh, the first movie's in high school, the second movie's in college, but by the third scream, we're in Hollywood, where <laughs> scary movies are made. <laughs> the stab franchise is being made. Oh, movies my. within a movie. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot to like here. Yeah, um, but it also feels like kind of a movie that's striking while the iron has gone way cold like it it seems like scream's moment has peaked and there's not much you could do with it uh yeah and it's a movie that feels i listened to the commentary last night i watched the movie once through and then i listened to the commentary with wes craven and uh the producer and patrick lucier who edited this in addition to halloween h2o so he's a he's a podcast part three uh, uh alum at this point <laughs> and uh they talked about all the different things like they when kevin williamson originally wrote scream he provided like five page outlines for a scream two and a scream three he was available to write scream two but in 2000 or leading up to it he was unavailable to write scream three so it was written by aaron Kruger. uh no relation <laughs> And uh, so it doesn't quite have that Kevin Williamson voice. Yeah, like the characters all sort of seem just a little bit off. Like everyone's sort of like kind of not acting like themselves or caricatures of themselves in in a way. Yeah, and it was also, this is the first Scream post-Columbine. So Miramax wanted to lean more into the comedy and less into the violence. So it's probably the lightest of the three movies in terms of tone, even though there's, it deals with some dark and weirdly prescient shit, which we will get into. Yeah. It's, but that's, that's even funnier because like, I feel like the first scream and scream two are funnier than this one is. Like, I feel like yeah. the comedy is just more like precise in scream and scream two. I think it's the difference between, a superhero movie that's trying to be a comedy and like 
a Marvel movie that has funny characters, but is still like an earnest action movie. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's it, because the thing about the first two screams is that they have this tone that is incredibly hard to ride where they're kind of a parody, but also doing the thing incredibly well that they're parroting, you know, and it, after Scream, unsurprisingly, much like after The Matrix, there were a glut of imitators. You had so many movies uh, coming out. Uh, after you had I know what you did last summer's after Scream Halloween right. H2O is obviously got the Scream influence on it yeah. you had Urban Legend you had um, uh, the Final Destination movies definitely feel like they came out of that era um, it basically was an era that continued I'd say until the mid 2000s when you had Saw and right. that sort of gear shifted the fr- the uh, the horror genre into that before then leading into the the, the classy horror we have now the A twenty four horror uh, which, elevated uh, horror ele- as they say as they say in the movie yeah. so it's about something it's horror that's about something it's about trauma right I mean, yeah it's yeah usually so like yeah it's it's an odd movie it, it doesn't feel in in keeping with the other two movies it it, it'll feel like a trilogy in that you have the same core characters and you have the same protagonist through all of it yeah the same sort of creatives at least for the most part behind it i mean i feel like scream 3 is pretty well directed yeah craven's bringing it it's not uh and it looks good and it's well edited i think it's just that it's a script that's not written by the the guy who was the, he it's the missing piece in the core original creative yeah. minds and it was like a script written on the fly with a lot of rewrites during production and um listening to the commentary they only had Nev Campbell for like 20 days really which is why she's kind of on her own doing her own thing through the first half of the movie okay wow which i yeah and, and it's like they do a good job of keeping her present. And, yeah. and it's not like she she's not sidelined like Jamie Lee Curtis is in multiple Halloween sequels now. <laughs> but it's like she's she's off on her own storyline and she's not in Hollywood. She's uh, at her uh, her her compound uh, right. in Northern yeah. California. Her compound much nicer than Lori's compound. Oh, much nicer. Like I want to I want to live there. I want to live in seclusion in this like gorgeous house and it was like it was shot in Topanga Canyon. So it was just it's beautiful. beautiful. And she's got like a wood stove up there and a, a very nice dog. Like a nice and... looking dog. It's yeah, it's it made me it was very cozy. Yeah. You know, she of the, you know, we've we've gone through three of these movies now where the horror movie protagonist has, like, has to process trauma in some way. She has come out sort of the healthiest of, yes. the, of the three movies. Yeah, because in the third one, yeah, she's living in isolation, but she works for, like, a crisis hotline. And this is one of those things uh, I think you, this is a good jo- way to segue into. I feel like there are different, like, sort of runners throughout this movie that feel like vestiges of previous drafts and one of the big ones is like is sydney prescott crazy or not is she hallucinating like she has dreams of her mother and then she see like she's you know keeps seeing like her like having visions and hearing her voice and so like people are doubting if if she's nuts and then the killer's plan is to frame her as the killer uh but it doesn't feel like it's like consistent enough and you never buy 
that Sydney might be crazy in this movie. Right. And it almost feels like they were going to go the whole hog where she thought she was the one committing the murders. Yeah. Uh, and, and they just never, they like almost go down the road, but then do a U-turn right before they get there. <laughs> and I suspect, I don't, I don't know this part for sure. Uh, I suspected if they'd had her available for more days and she would have been in Hollywood, the location for more of the movie they might have been able to do that, but like you, you know, she's not the killer because she's somewhere else when right. half when the murders are happening. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll just get into it. Uh, yeah. It starts as they all do with a uh, uh, a celebrity murder at the beginning, and this time it's uh, it's it's our our Hampshire alum Liev Schreiber. That's right. Yeah. Former. I, I guess he was he was wrongfully accused and convicted of murdering Sydney's mother. Right. But he was just having an affair with her. He then gets out, helps save the day in Scream 2, and now he's like a Sally Jesse Raphael talk show host. In yeah. and and kind of a just a he's he's got like a real white suit that he wears everywhere. <laughs> and uh he likes to do role-playing games based on the horrible murders he was framed for, slash witnessed. Yeah, that was the weirdest part. Yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, there's a lot of strange aspects to this movie. I mean, but that and the fact that there's a very successful franchise based on real murders that happened, <laughs> horrible, brutal murders that happened in this in this world. Yeah. And they're like, they're going to kill Gail in the <laughs> third stab, but she's like a real person. So stab three isn't based on, on, anything. on anything. It's... Oh, the stab movies look so bad. They really do. Yeah. But yes, we open with with Liev Schreiber getting murdered by by Ghostface, the uh, the killer of these movies. And yeah. there's a new gimmick he has. He's got the voice changer, but he now can mimic other people's voices. Yes. Yes, he can. And there's only, spoiler alert for fucking Scream 3, there's only <laughs> one killer in this one. And that's the big twist only one killer only one killer which kind of bummed me out because i hadn't watched this movie in a really long time so i didn't remember sort of i remember i remember spoiler alert uh the killer was sydney's brother but i didn't remember anything else other than that so knowing what i know i'm not going to answer this but will if you thought one of the other characters was a second killer, who would you guess it might be? Well, I was going to actually go with Parker Posey when I, when I was, as I was watching it, I was like, oh yeah, Parker Posey, totally. She's the other killer. And then of course she dies, but. <laughs> who do you think? If you had to guess. In Scream 3? In or? Scream 3, if there had been a second killer, having watched the movie, who would you have guessed it might be? Oh, well, Patrick Dempsey, obviously. It was going to be Emily Mortimer. Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, in uh, the original draft, uh, there was at least one draft where there was a second killer, and Emily Mortimer's character was uh, uh, Roman Bridger's uh, girlfriend and Sydney's former classmate from Woodsboro. Of course. That, that, yeah. And if you watch the movie, you can kind of see little bits of that. To see those, those scenes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. like, um, she's got the ambiguous death. You never see, yeah. like, her body gets dragged off. Right. You, she's constantly getting separated from everyone else. Uh, you know, she's, like, she she won, like, a talent contest. And she's weirdly obsessed with Sydney. And, yeah. 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 Totally. So the whole star cast, a lot of good cameos in this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, Lance Henriksen, of course, is the head of the studio. Roger Corman. Roger Corman also is a head of the studio. Corman showing up. Uh, uh, Patrick Warburton. Yep. (laughs) And uh, a fun fact, the uh, partner, uh, Patrick Dempsey's partner, Josh Pice, Josh Pice yeah. uh, is, uh, he's Raphael from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, he's also uh, the gynecologist in Teeth, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, and he was on uh, Michael and Michael Have Issues. And most importantly, Carrie Fisher showing up. Yes. And just owns it. She steals a movie. <laughs> For, she's got one scene and she just walks off with it. She's great. <laughs> and, and fucking Jay and Silent Bob show up. <laughs> For reasons, I don't know. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Wes Craven cameos in uh, Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back. Strike Back. So I guess it's like kind of a connection, but it is so weird when they. I guess they're just both Miramax properties at the time. Yeah. Like yeah. it's so weird. I mean, that's this is this is the comedy one. Like this is yeah. the silly <laughs> scream movie. So yeah, because it's like it's we're in Hollywood. Like we're in in the middle of it's. But it is just like it's such a clunky movie that feels like it's it's hard to put my finger on what it is, but it's feel like it's trying to justify its own existence. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it just because it, I mean, it feels like by two thousand, sort of the the scream moment had just burned out and just hadn't really. There's no reason for it to be happening. Yeah, because it's not a franchise where you can. Uh, you know, keep bringing the killer back without a real explanation. It's not Jason. Ghostface is always, it's a whodunit. Like, you know, Ghostface is always a different person. Right. And I think that's what sort of made Scream and Scream 2 so interesting too and different is that it also had very compelling characters in a way that a lot of slasher movies just didn't. So like you're following a lot of the same characters from one movie to the next. Um, and you actually like really give a shit about them and sort of if they survive and that kind of thing. I mean, they, they feel like characters from a TV show in a way um, like they could be on Dawson's Creek. And, you know, this franchise definitely benefits from having like a core trio of actors that you all you find very likable and engaging and you want them to do, be OK. And Sidney Prescott's a very good heroine. Nev Campbell's just always been great in these movies. Uh, yeah. She's great in the new one, too. The thing I kept coming back to this time watching around is that these three movies have a very problematic relationship with Sydney's mother. Yes. Yeah. Especially this one, because, you know, because she's the she's Roman's father and mother and and he it's her. She's the impetus for him to start to run around killing people. And I know that the other movies are two in a way, but um, it she's abstracted enough in the other two that it's not as like a big deal as it is here. Yeah. But it's also like every single one of these movies, the killer's main motivation has something to do with, you know, quote unquote, your slut mother was uh, <laughs> fucking my husband or my father. And that's why I left. I'm quoting Laurie Metcalf here in scream Two, <laughs> And it's, it's like your mom, you know, abandoned me after they, ruined her virtue at a screening in swinging 70s Hollywood. It's the movies all blame the misfortunes and murder and unhappiness on the actions of brutally murdered Maureen Prescott, a character we never met who's murdered off screen before a year before Scream 2 and never really 
tries to let her off the hook. Like, a little bit in this movie. There's, like, one moment at the end where Nev Campbell basically says, like, I have heard this shit before, take responsibility for your own fucking actions. But it is just, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the term would be, but it is, like, very much blaming the victim here. And all, and all the movies have done that, whereas, like, no one ever blames Billy's dad in Scream for having <laughs> an affair or... That's a, a good point. I mean, I think it works in the first Scream. Uh, I think because it is very clear that, that Billy and Stu are nuts. Like yeah. they are, like they're clearly crazy people and they're, and, and it's not at least, it, it sort of is a motivation for them to do it, but it's not exactly why they're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, there's that moment where, like, in the original Scream, where when Billy Skeet Ulrich reveals that, you cut to a shot of Matthew Lillard, who looks surprised. Like, he didn't know he didn't that know was that. the motivation. He's just, he just thought this was a goof. Yeah, he thought it was, it would be fun to, to sort of kill people and... And make our own scary movie, you know? Right. Yeah, it's so... Uh, I don't know. I think it works in the first one, but I mean, Maureen Prescott in all of these movies is just a plot device more than anything else. Yeah. And that's, that's really the problem. And that's really the problem here because you need to know more about her and there needs to be more of a, you need to understand her psychology and why she abandoned Roman. I mean, you kind of get it, but you need to sort of really understand her. You don't really get her point of view. You get Sydney talking about like, I remember her as like the perfect mom and that's what's important, but there's never like ever a feeling like she's like Maureen Prescott's ever being avenged. Yeah. It would be more interesting. I think if this movie sort of took that track. Yeah. Like if we're going to go back and have one of the movies bring that closure at, you know, because obviously doing that and diving into the mythology would come at the expense of like the meta we're right. all having a good time. These are, oh, someone's making, taking their love of scary movies too far. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, but I think third movies are meant to do that. Jamie Kennedy says so. The past <laughs> comes back to haunt you. He lays it all out. Yeah. And you bet your ass I've I've put that at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh, they, 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 that one, that was easy. Yeah, it was like, oh, wait, this is the thesis of our fucking podcast right here. <laughs> Which, like, his cameo is super contrived, but I guess you kind of need it because there is no other character like that in this movie. Like, right. Scream 4 and, and the new Scream have the the Randy character. Like, Scream 4 has Hayden Panettiere, who's, like, the film nerd, who right. knows all that stuff. Like, someone always lays out the rules, and they didn't think to create a new character to do that. So, so they just had him show up in a video. He, that he... very pre- <laughs> smartly, preemptively made a video for the third incident before he even died in the second incident. <laughs> but yeah, and there's so many characters in this that are trying to be red herrings. Like Emily Mortimer is a red herring. Patrick Dempsey is aggressively a red herring. A red herring. Like Parker he's Posey on... too. I mean, yeah, she's a red herring, but she's like she's your stew she's your yeah. like the silly red herring <laughs> right it, like kincaid detective kincaid honestly they push it to the point where even if he's not the killer i feel like sydney should stay away from him <laughs> he's got like a big dossier on her like that she finds like a giant scrapbook about her right. in his office and even if he's not actively murdering people i feel like he's 
Like he's a dark dude. Yeah, he's he's Al Pacino in Heat. He's like it's just like sitting there brooding all the time. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but and that was something that wasn't really closed up. That loop. It was. I mean, they clearly Sydney and him are like eating popcorn and watching movies or whatever. But like, yeah, they kind of make it like they're like they have a romance going on. They they sometimes they don't. They shot that final scene three ways, they said in the commentary. (laughs) Once without Patrick Dempsey, once with Patrick Dempsey wearing a sling, and once where he's not wearing a sling. So, Oh boy, very, uh, just very, very different endings. Completely changes the... (laughs) And once where he's uh, wearing a large rainbow clown wig. (laughs) And it's completely unaddressed. (laughs) And also, uh, apparently in the... I think in the version where there were two killers, he's not even in that final sequence. Oh, d- okay. Like you don't see him until like, there's like the aftermath scene in most right. of these movies. You wouldn't see him again until that. Like he misses all of it. Yeah. That, what a weird choice for, if you're going to do it, like at least have a payoff for it. Don't yeah. Just, yeah. And the problem, and I think this is partially because they didn't, you know, Sydney is sort of removed from the bulk of the movie. Uh, she doesn't meet the killer until he reveals himself. That's right. Yeah, they don't share a scene at they all. Never, they never, have no yeah. relationship. They have no scenes together, nor does she have any scenes with Lance Henriksen, with, with the producer, John Milton, right. until that final confrontation. So all of the like information about her mother and what happened to her, as far as we know, she doesn't know any of that until that final scene so she never gets that opportunity to reconcile with it in any way yeah you'd almost want it to be that that it it be the gail and sydney show instead of gail and parker posey running around like you almost want sydney to be trying to clear her name you know being framed for these killings and and Sydney clearing her name, you know what I mean? You want that to be the thrust of the movie. That's that's the failing of this movie is that Sydney is just she's not like she she's present in the movie but she is not a very active protagonist. Right. Yeah, she just doesn't they don't give her much to do. No. No, it's in the first two she's very active like she's you know, she uh Charlie's scratching at the door. Okay. <laughs> I think you can bring all the flaws of this movie back to the script it's like it's got some good parts it's got some sequences that i think work really well but then it's also just got some stuff that if you think about it for more than five seconds it completely falls apart like how do you uh how does the fax machine work if they've cut power to the house (laughs) you know what that hadn't actually occurred to me but maybe that's because i was watching it late at night last night (laughs) They they called it out in the commentary, <laughs> and you can hear them all just sort of shrug, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean the one the really interesting thing as you as you brought up at the beginning is the stuff talking about actresses and being exploited in Hollywood. Yeah, just to sum up, the big reveal uh, of this movie is that Sydney's mom, when she was younger, before she met Sydney's dad and got married and had a kid went off to Hollywood for a couple of years to become an actress named Rena Reynolds, she changes her name. And in that time, 
she to get a part presumably goes to a party held by a producer who happens to be the producer of a horror producer who happens to be the guy that's producing the stab movies later on played by lance henriksen and she is presumably horribly sexually exploited and assaulted and uh doesn't keep quiet about it and it ruins her acting career but it also uh she has an illegitimate son and Years later, this son is uh, the killer in Scream 3. He tracked her down before the events of the first Scream and tried to reunite with his mother, and she rejected him. So he ha- he he got Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard to kill her. And then that's how it all got the ball rolling. And then years later, he also happens to be the director of Stab 3. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and he is Sydney reveals himself as Sydney's half brother. Now, <laughs> winding it back to the inciting incident of this movie is uh, a young a- a woman, basically preyed upon by a powerful Hollywood producer. In this movie, produced by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it's insane, and it's almost it's almost like. I can't imagine that it's almost like somebody writing this was like, we're pointing the finger right at our bosses. And I don't know. I don't know either. I don't want to, I don't want to, there's no evidence of that. I know that Aaron Kruger has talked about this element before, but he's never like, we never wrote John Milton as the villain. He was more like a guy who was part of the inciting incident. Right. But like John Milton as a character is kind of a non-entity in this movie. Like yeah, he's just exposition. Yeah, machine. we you know he's we just, all yeah. we love we love Lance Henriksen, but he's he's just kind of gives exposition. Never meets Sydney, right? And then is killed. And Roman's uh, intention is to frame Sydney by saying that she killed all these people as revenge for what happened to her mother. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and this all ties back to it's like it's not horrible people did something to Maureen Prescott. It's that this was the moment where she was turned into a whore, you know, like, it's like, no, I mean, it's weirdly a prescient movie in the age of me too, because of this element of it. And I'm, I'm surprised the movie even tackled it and didn't tackle it in a way that felt too sleazy or sensationalist. Like, thank God, you don't get like a flashback or see anything. No, I mean, it's these movies aren't the scream movies are never as exploitative as other slasher franchises are. Uh, But it's problematic on one level and it's fascinating on another. And the fact that it's produced by Miramax who were Harvey Weinstein was doing horrible things to people throughout this entire era yeah it's it's so weird it's it's very strange and it almost it's almost now looking at it now it's almost too serious a topic for scream movies to tackle in a way it's because it almost like kind of takes away a lot of the comedy watching it now not at the time per se but now now that sort of a lot of this stuff has come to light and we know just how sort of awful, especially Harvey Weinstein was slash is. It just it, it it's so weird for a movie that is fundamentally meant to be the the last movie in the franchise and was for ten or so years. I think like they didn't plan on making another one after this. I think everyone was kind of done. Uh, it's it wants to be Return of the Jedi, 
But I think out of necessity, it ends up in that kind of throwing its hands up RoboCop 3 realm where it ends up being lighter than the first two when it should be a more dramatically heavy, more momentous final chapter in a trilogy. Like we were saying, having Sidney Prescott be part of the investigation, be figuring out this stuff about her mom, because that's like her thing at the beginning of the movie is like she didn't know her and her mom had like secrets that she didn't know and... And you kind of want her to be figuring this out and learning about her mom. And I I mean, I think you're right. I think you need sort of the dramatic absolution or, you know, uh, saving of her mom or her to come to grip terms with her mom as like a a flawed human or something. Yeah, it's these movies are all about Sydney feeling like she like getting further and further away from what who she thought Maureen Prescott was. And I think. It, I think the idea at the end of this one should have been coming back around and realizing that, you know, d- saying to basically on her mother's behalf that none of the, what happened is her is Maureen's fault. Right. Exactly. Like these movies never fully absolve Maureen Prescott. And I think the the arc of Scream, if it's, you know, these movies, you know, kind of have a reputation as being like the silly meta slasher movies, but they could have that arc and and have that, you know, reconcile their backstory. And I don't think it comes at the expense of the slasher horror elements or the comedy elements. It's just, this yeah. is, you know, this dials back the horror, ups the comedy, and tries to put the drama in there, but it just feels like it's clashing against both those other elements. It's not a good, the mixture is, is out of balance. Yeah. And it doesn't even do the thing that the other two screams do, which also is like make uh, intriguing mysteries too, as to who's doing this and, and why, you know, as as the killer, they don't even, they don't even really try for the mystery aspect, which is kind of shocking because the first two are so like, focused on that yeah i i guess it's like now we the the big thing is that we know that this killer claims to be the person who really killed uh sydney's mom but right they they, that's that's it like you know it's uh in scream 2 it's just you know it's new killers like they have a motivation but it doesn't really matter it's like they're you know we're the sequel and uh and i have i have said many times that i wish we could get a, like a, a spinoff where it's the backstory of Laurie Metcalf finding Timothy Oliphant, the serial killer on the internet and them bonding and having like a mother, mother, son dynamic. <laughs> Just, Just that. Film. Like, I will totally like, like how that. did they yeah. meet? I God, I miss that. It's, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I I I love I love Scream too because Timothy Oliphant is the classic Kevin Williamson killer where he's one thing uh, the whole movie and then as soon as he reveals his true identity he goes into crazy wisecracking mode and like yeah, a yeah. bunch like uh, the second I know what you did last summer does that too and the first That's Scream right, does yeah. that and it's like they they just suddenly get like really goofy they all want to be Matthew Lillard. <laughs> Oh man, I saw Scream 2 opening night, uh, like Friday night. Um, uh, my friend's dad got us tickets. Uh, we, we went in and the the moment where Timothy Oliphant, like when it's, they're like, you got to kill him because they always wake up. And when he goes, blah, and they shoot him, the, the whole theater erupted into a yeah. pause. No, the, <laughs> when, when these movies crazy. are humming, they're a lot of fun to watch with a crowd. Uh, I think this yeah. is the first one I actually saw in the theater. And the other two were like staples of 
slumber parties and and hangouts with friends. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't see this one until way later, until it like hit video or or something. Like I think I saw it in a hotel. Yeah, it 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 <laughs> didn't have the fanfare of the first two. It did come out with just kind of a thud, and you know, it's not it's not awful. No, it's completely watchable. There's but nothing like, like like you said. It was it, the zeitgeist for the scream movies had already faded away. Yeah, and it felt like I mean, like studio produced horror, sort of right around this time, had kind of become something completely different. Like it had kind of morphed into the Final Destination movies, and not really. Yeah, you had more sup- supernatural stuff in the or like special yeah. effects had kind of caught up. You had that like haunting remake in there, right? And. And the the whole uh, Japanese horror boom remake boom sort of was hitting right around the time. Like the just... Ring was shortly after this. Uh, yeah. You had um, like Saw was two thousand four. Like uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was two thousand three. Dawn of the Dead was two thousand four. And after that, I like if you've seen that one clip from Scream Four <laughs> where Hayden Panettiere is rattling off all the uh, remakes. That sums it up. They just remade everything until basically and dragged it out until the nostalgia era kicked in and they did all these requels right so yeah yeah it's this one just doesn't feel like it just feels a little bit like a movie out of time like it doesn't you it's like when you watch the different eras of halloween you get a sense of like oh this was what these movies were like in this period and scream and scream 2 definitely feel like that and Scream 3 just feels like it has less to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and maybe that's also, like, there was this weird period of time, like, the, the like, end of the 90s and the beginning of the aughts, like, 2000, 2001, where movies sort of, like, lack an identity, it feels like, a cultural identity, and... Yeah. And this kind of feels like it falls into that space, where it's just kind of yeah. like, it's just, we, we need to make a Scream sequel because we want to make a Scream sequel. We need the, the money, and, like, it just is there. Yeah, just... it was it was like, we, we the, the Weinsteins and Dimension want to do it, they got everyone. It was presumably they got all the stars to align, except Kevin Williamson, who I believe was unavailable because he was uh, directing, teaching Mrs. Tingle. Ah, yes. Remember that? <laughs> That's another one of those movies that also feels sort of the same. Like it just it was released, and who cares? Like it's well, yeah, because they marketed it like a slasher movie, and it's not. But it's not. It's no. like a weird dark comedy. It yeah. almost feels like when like Hitchcock tried to make funny movies. Yeah, it, yeah. that was like kind of the vibe. Had a uh, uh, Helen Mirren and Katie Holmes yep. uh, were in it, and as I recall. The only thing I remember about that movie is I it was a really hot day and in Salt Lake at the time, and my friend and I went and saw it, and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> I um I saw it on a school trip. It was one of the movies they played on the coach bus on our <laughs> school trip to Washington D.C. And all I remember is sitting there watching it. And there's a scene where Katie Holmes pulls off her shirt, uh, and as soon as she's just in her bra, I just saw a couple of dudes' hands go up like four rows in front of me and just high five. Uh, and and that's all I remember of teaching Mrs. Tingle. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I yeah, I just remember walking into the theater and seeing it and that's it. It's like it's just a blank. I, I'm not gonna look it up, but I'm assuming it's one of those movies that came out in like January or February that when you just you just go see whatever. Like in college, 
like you and I did this all the time in college. We would just be like, oh my God, I'm so bored. It's January term. There's nothing to do. Do you want to go see after the sunset with Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if I remember correctly, teaching Mrs. Tingle was August. I feel like it was August, end of August, beginning of September. <laughs> August is the January of the summer in terms of movie releases. Because uh, I just remember it being really hot in my house, not having air conditioning at that point. So it was just like, I just need to go somewhere where I can be cool. <laughs> it's just either you either go to a movies a lot of the time for air conditioning or to just kill four hours of your day. Exactly. That's yeah. why, you know, it's January. Will, do you want to go see Hostage with Bruce Willis <laughs> and Kevin Pollack? Also, I mean, it didn't it didn't hurt that tickets were five dollars with our student ID. So we could yeah, just true. sort of roll up and be like, I don't know, let's watch an Underworld sequel. Woo-hoo! That's true. <laughs> yes, our local multiplex uh, in the I guess this was the mid aughts was uh, had a five dollar and seventy five cent student discount ticket. Yep. And it was like a real theater, too. It wasn't like a, a shitty theater. It was a real Cinemark uh, multi-screen. I remember we waited in a long line for an afternoon to see a midnight screening of Revenge of the Sith. Ah, yep. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of midnight movies there. They used to do that Friday Night Rewind where so we saw like, I don't know how I would do this now. I know I'm old now because the idea of going to see Sin City on opening night and then staying to watch Goodfellas at midnight and staying awake (laughs) through all of Goodfellas just blows my mind i went opening night to see grindhouse and then we went and saw the warriors afterwards that's three movies in a row at the theater yeah i ate so many gummy candies (laughs) i i i I was just like how do we how did we do that oh my god the last midnight screaming midnight screaming midnight uh screening i went to i think was with you we went to see tron legacy and i fell asleep yeah yeah (laughs) That was the that might have been the last one for me. I've been to a couple midnight movies since. I think I went to see like Wrath of Khan at midnight. Yeah. And it's like or like I saw Hard Day's Night at midnight. The kind of movies where it's like it's kind of okay if you fall asleep. Right. It's not a new movie. I'm I well now also like the Thursday night at midnight opening night thing doesn't even happen. It's actually like like it's now 6:30 or whatever. It's not even yeah. <laughs> Elise and I, the first time we went back to the theater last year was we went to see Spider-Man No Way Home at the Alamo Drafthouse. And it was a Thursday screening and we bought tickets for like a three o'clock screening or like a a, a 2.30 screening. And we get there and the guy's like, I'm sorry, everybody. We screwed up. The studio says we can't roll, fill, roll the like roll the reels until 3 p.m. or later or we'll get in big trouble. And I was just like, so we had to go home and. And we bought 12, 15 a.m. seats. So that was the last midnight movie <laughs> I saw. They refunded us. And I was like, I still want to see it because I don't want to get spoiled. Yeah. Uh, we haven't been to the movies in forever. So we went at like 12, 15 a.m. And all I just remember was like, I loved the movie, but I was also like, I'm cold and tired. Yeah. It's it's like, I, I just want to be at home in bed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like there's no Thursday night at midnight anymore. It's like Thursday night at 6 p.m. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, yeah, I, it's one of those things. I think that's when you know you're old is that when you cannot sit through a midnight screening either because you become just uncomfortable or you just fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. And it would always be like they'd shut down everything else in the, the, the theater and in the mall. So it would be like either like really cold or really hot by the time yeah. the movie ended. Yeah. 
uh and uh you'd have to like if you didn't park in the right place you have to walk around the entire outside of the mall in the dark yeah you know yeah (sighs) memories memories So I guess, uh, you know, we should let's pull this back on track. How does Scream 3 stack up as a part three? Um, not great, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, talk, like, it's, it, when I'm watching it, I have a good time. It's fine. Yeah. But it's one of those ones that does not hold up to scrutiny. As you said, it's just, it's missing sort of the crucial elements that made the first two so, like, special and fun. Yeah. You know, this, this one, it's fun, and, like, there are some great moments. I think Parker Posey and um, Courtney Cox have, like, a great chemistry together. I think they're so fun. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about her yet, but Parker Posey is is so good in this movie. Yeah. She, I, you can tell she improved a lot you can tell she's just having a good time she's cosplaying as courtney cox in the first movie the whole time <laughs> i just like like I, her delivery on my lawyer liked that was just just and she's so great uh and to see her in a movie like this because at the time she only ever did like like art house movies or uh christopher guest movies christopher, yeah. like she done best in show yeah. or something like that so it was just like, she's such a delight in this. Yeah, she's and she's always fun. And she'll be showing up in our podcast uh, a couple more times, I think. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot all about she's uh, <laughs> she's showing up uh, in, a, in a movie that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Blade Trinity. Yeah. I just read another article about what a shit show that production was. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess a, a tease for a future episode that will air at some point. You and I have the fix for that movie on how to make oh. it the best movie, not of the Blade franchise, but probably the best movie ever. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. Oh, we'll man. get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to it. it. I'm instantly regretting picking Day of the Dead instead of that <laughs> for our next uh because I oh now I want to talk about Blade Trinity, but I got to pace myself. Yeah, I can't yeah. just eat. I can't eat only desserts for meals. <laughs> I have to eat some solid food too. I can't only have milkshakes. Well, and there there will be a new Blade movie coming out soon, so we can tie it into that. So yeah, uh, if we want, I want to wait. I don't, don't want to wait <laughs> for the Blade movie to come out. Oh, you know the real winner of the scream franchises mm. is that one nick cave and the bad seed song that's oh, in all yeah. five you see him in your nightmares you see him in your dreams because it's in the new one too oh. it's like it's like so it's not of any era of the scream <laughs> no. franchise it's not like like the first movies uh are like very much like 90s alternative rock scream three is new metal right scream 2011 has more hip-hop uh it's it's just this weird like like it should be in a david lynch movie yeah this it's just nick cave doing his like kind of microscopic cogan is catastrophic <laughs> designed and, and directed, directed by his red, red, red right hand, hand. Yeah. oh my god yeah no it's <laughs> Weird. and it's over the end credits of this one yeah. and it just doesn't fit at all but it's like yeah it's it is this franchise's theme song yeah uh, the weirdest part and this is not has anything to do with scream 3 but scream 2 when dewey steps out of, of like enters the movie it's to the theme from broken arrow <laughs> it also shows up in speed 2 so you have speed 2 scream 2 and broken arrow none of which have the same composer <laughs> 
so weird. So weird. Yeah, it's because I like the score for all the Scream movies. I think it's Marco Beltrami for at least the first three. Yeah. And it's it's got a it's like, you know, that Scream score. Yeah. It's got like a few different like refrains. Like there's a lot of like, you know, the like bells and, and choral stuff. But then there's the like, um, don't, don't. Dun, dun. like it's 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 you know that theme even without having seen like without looking at the movie and it's very it's very the the score marco beltrami's score it's also very cinematic too in a way that a lot of like slasher movie scores aren't you know outside of like a john carpenter score but well and that's the big thing with scream is that it definitely ushered in and i think this has stayed and i think we can credit scream with this is that it definitely legitimized horror movies and made yeah. them kind of safe for name actors to show up in yeah. that shows even today like it's not a, a like between this and silence of the lambs it's not like a blight on your resume to have been in a horror movie right yeah absolutely and and for the you know first chunk of the 90s being in a slasher movie was just like you don't have a career basically and and they joke about this in scream 3 because yeah. it's like they tell parker posey you can just go back to must see tv you know <laughs> oh man it's always... i want to see sorry what were you gonna say i was just gonna say i wanted to see usher doing pinter off broadway <laughs> jokes about people sleeping with the the director like everyone in the in the cast of stab three slept with roman yeah parker posey slept with roman uh emily mortimer slept with lance henriksen oh that's right yeah yeah yeah. did jenny mccarthy did she end up did she sleep with lance with uh with roman no i jenny mccarthy jenny mccarthy's in this movie guys um For like but five seconds. She's kind of the anomaly in that you, you know, Emily Moore, of the three like actresses, the three women that are in the Stab movie in the film, you have Parker Posey, who's clearly like a big star. Like she's been in all of them. She's clearly at least like, she's Courtney Cox. Yeah. yeah. Like she's in, yeah, she is Courtney Cox. And then you have Emily Mortimer, who is replacing Tori Spelling <laughs> in the role of Sidney Prescott. And she is um like, was found through a talent search uh that's her her backstory and then uh yeah i don't know what jenny mccarthy's analog is supposed to be because there's no like new character in scream three who would <laughs> who would fit the the part yeah I, don't know. I mean i guess she's maybe supposed to be like the the drew barrymore yeah. sort of character but like in canon drew Barry like in canon it's you see it in scream two in canon Heather Graham plays that part in the that's right, movie. That's right. Like they've yeah. made it official. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I believe the cast of the original stab, it's uh it's Heather Graham as Drew Barrymore, uh Tori Spelling as Nev Campbell, Luke Wilson as Skeet Ulrich, uh <laughs> for Parker Posey's character, Jennifer Jolie as uh, <laughs> as Courtney Cox and um uh David Schwimmer as Dewey. That's Which, right. That's uh, right. Yeah, that's the, yeah. the gag. <laughs> Stupid. I love that scene where they they watch the clip from from Stab and just it's like it's just the really badly directed and acted version of the scene from the yeah. First movie. It's they they put they put the Skeet Ulrich hair on Luke Wilson yeah. and it's just like why won't you let me touch you? <laughs> it's the same dialogue and everything. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, uh, and, and when these movies are clever, they are very funny. I just think this one 
commits to the wrong tone for the story it wants to tell. So to roll it back to the question you asked me, no, I don't necessarily think, I don't think it's a successful third movie. It's a quintessential disappointing third movie in a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, and nothing that's in this movie, my dog is growling at me. Uh, he's such an asshole. Oh. Uh, You're no, getting just, too animated. I, I, he yeah. thinks it's like 7 a.m. and he wants some food. So, uh, uh, put a pin in this for just a moment and I'm going to f- give him a, a little bit of food gang of uh, <laughs> uh, our official mascot, uh, Charlie, the dog. And we're back. Turns out he was growling at a ghost face uh, and I'm dead. <laughs> you did say you'll be right back. So. I did say I'll be right back. Oh no. Oh, no. I've, le- I've learned nothing. I've seen all five of these movies, <laughs> but what I was saying is that yeah, nothing that's revealed in scream three carries over to Scream 4 or 5 as opposed to the events of the first two movies. Like, in Scream 5, without going into spoilers, they refer to Billy Loomis as the mastermind of of everything that happened in Scream, whereas Scream 3 very clearly lays out that Roman Bridger was at least the guy that, I'm a director. I direct. (laughs) One of my favorite things in the Scream movies is how often the killer gets the shit kicked out of them. Oh, yeah. And, like, falls over all the time and, like, trips and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, uh, having things slammed into their head. (laughs) Wes Craven in the commentary for this one said, we had to go back and do some reshoots because it honestly looked like uh, Sydney was beating the shit out of Scott Foley too much. Yeah, he's always, the ghost face is always falling over or running into something. It, it does add a lot of, a lot to it. And, and it's an interesting detail that, like, Michael Myers isn't tripping or screwing up or anything like that. Yeah, like, know? the Scream Killer is human enough that you can fight back, but dangerous enough that he will probably kill you. And I think that's, um, that's kind of what makes the killer effective in these movies, especially in the first two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um... Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it says something about Scream 3 that we, we keep not talking about it. <laughs> there's, there's just, there's not much to talk about. I mean, it, it feels like what it is, which is an, an early 2000s studio-produced horror movie. <laughs> that that was, like, kind of having to keep correcting itself to make up for, like, production issues and rewrites and not really sure what kind of movie it wanted to be. And, uh, you know, I really like the Scream franchise and it's like I we we grew up with those movies. So, you know, they're like our generations. He's Ghostface is our generation's slasher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, you know, I can credit Scream. I mean, I'm not a huge slasher fan, but I can credit the first Scream with actually making me track down a lot of the original movies and watching them. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And I think know. it was a lot of people's gateway into that. It certainly was mine. And you know, I don't know if it's my favorite slasher movie, but I would put Scream as one of the best slasher movies by far. Yeah, for me, I think it just, the, I liked those characters so much. And in a way that like the, a lot of the slasher movies never made me care about the characters in, in the same way. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what my favorite scary movie is. I've never pinned it down. I really love the first Halloween. It is I mean, so good. And that's like unassailable like a, just a great movie i like yeah it's hard to I, I love the first nightmare on elm street as well i think that's yeah really i good. i'm i think i'm also i i always end up mashing up 
which one's my favorite versus which one scares me the most. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know if any of the body horror type movies are my favorite, but I find body horror movies like super unsettling. Like yeah. the fly always gives me the heebie jeebies. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's not like, I'm, I'm not going to pop in the fly come Halloween season. I'm more likely <laughs> to put in Halloween or right. some universal classic monsters or, right. um, you know, uh, evil dead two or something like that. I'd put Alien up there, too. Oh, yeah. I'd say Halloween and Alien might be my two favorite, like, scary movies. Halloween really scared the shit out of me when I first saw it. Like, I was yeah. really, like, freaked no. out. No. All the stuff where you look, where he's looking out the window and he just sees Michael's silhouette across the street. Yeah. And I had, like, a lit-up house across the street from me growing up, and it, it's spooky. So do I. And same, same deal. And, and then I remember the last shot of the first Halloween just like where it's just him sort of looking around and you hear the breathing and the score is going. And I just remember going, Oh fuck. I, I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> yeah. No, it's look, we, we, we have picked apart the carcass of the Halloween franchise a lot already <laughs> on this show, but you know, the original Halloween, there is a reason why they move heaven and earth to keep that franchise going because that original movie is so damn good. And any studio that's got the rights Honestly, I understand completely their desire to want to recapture that magic. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you're watching the Scream movies, I'd say Scream 3 is an inessential uh, entry, but is worth watching. It's not It's not painful, and it, it's kind of fun. There's nothing, it's not, it's very inoffensive, I guess I should I, say. I, I'll say this, you won't, you don't need to have seen this movie to enjoy or understand the new one. Uh you know, it's fine. It's there's only five movies in this franchise. I'd say all of the ones after the first two are, you know, not not essential entries. Like I scream for it's fine. Like everyone in it's good. Like the cast is good, but it's it's like very forgettable to me. Yeah, well, I, I I know I've seen it, and I but I'm not entirely certain if I slept through it or not because I know I watched it on I know I watched it after it had come home like had been out on home video at some point, and I I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> Everyone take a shot every time Will wonders if he slept through a movie. <laughs> in, Which is in... it, it, the thing is that, that why I bring it up is because it's memorable to me because I generally don't sleep through movies. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Yeah, I, I rewatched it recently because it's up on streaming right now. Um, all four Scream movies are up on different streaming services. Right. <laughs> so a- Annoyingly, yeah. Well, it's, you know, that's what happens when you're, the rights to your franchise are owned by a, 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 a man ghoul who finally gets held accountable and the his, his empire is picked apart by different distribution companies. <laughs> uh, no, I watched Scream 4 again and it's it's... It feels like a, a nostalgia movie ahead of its time. Yeah. Like it brings everyone back. It's try. It introduces like a new young cast, but I'd say unlike the new one, it doesn't really commit to those new characters. Yeah. And I'd say in the new scream, Sydney isn't the, the main protagonist anymore. She's there, but she's very much. And her storyline isn't exactly like this, but she's like the Han Solo in Force Awakens. She's passing like, the baton. Moving, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the 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 OG three are the Han, Luke, and Leia to the new uh, ones. But uh, 
Have we talked about Star Wars in every episode so far? You know, I was thinking about this because I think we have. I think we... But if we're doing a podcast about part threes, which we are, those have cast pretty big shadows in part three. It's true. It is a trilogy of trilogies. It's threes within threes. It's... uh, I mean... hot take the star wars franchise is incredibly influential on blockbuster (laughs) filmmaking (laughs) what if your hot take about the star wars movies was that it wasn't like how like i don't see uh, elements of star wars in any movie (laughs) ever (laughs) like like that was your hot take i saw star wars came out in 1977 and i haven't seen a movie like it since (laughs) like I, I don't I go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at, at Disneyland and I don't get any inkling of the Star Wars films. <laughs> it must be a coincidence. <laughs> Turning into J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> it must be a the Star Wars movies are a menace. <laughs> That's just Nixon. Yeah. I'm available through Arlene Thornton and Associates uh, uh, voice talent uh, for uh, parties <laughs> and uh, answering machine messages. I want to start a Twitter account that's just like hot takes that are so like completely removed from reality that just I want to see how people react. Not even trolling. I just kind of want to see if I could actually make the arguments. (laughs) Will, uh, you're talking to a guy who lives on Instagram as a dog and on Twitter as a podcast. So I'm (laughs) I'm not anxious to insert myself into the social media bubble any further than I am. But that speaking of voice actors, actually. Uh, we got to I feel like the real star of all five of these movies is Roger Jackson. Who as, does the voice as He is the voice of Ghostface. He's the voice that's in like that they use in the little voice box. And he's great. He, like yeah. he gives really good performances. He's genuinely menacing. Uh he does a really good job of going from like casual to creepy in yeah. those like initial calls. And he was like a local hire on the first screen. He was like a local hire when they were filming in like Santa Rosa oh, wow. uh, in Northern California. And so like good on him because he really he was originally just like a temp voice they hired for like on set and wow. they kept him in. And he's fantastic. He so, is really good. And I mean, you know, even if you don't like the rest of the movie, that opening sequence with Drew Barrymore in the first screen is just I mean, that's like spectacular filmmaking. Yeah. Like, just, it's, I think we I think we sort of forget how important Wes Craven has been to the horror genre. Yeah. He kind of like threw a meteor into it at least twice, three times, yeah. I would say. Last House on the Left was a game changer. Nightmare on Elm Street was a game changer for the slasher genre. And then Scream was the, a game changer. Yeah. And they're v- three very different movies. And his other like good movies in there are like all very different from each other. Like Serpent and the Rainbow and um, People Under the Stairs. That's a creepy movie. I hadn't seen that until this, this past year. And uh, I was blown away by that movie. That was crazy. Because it is just, it is like the ultimate like, freaky suburban neighbors what are they up to yeah exactly it's like it's imagine like your creepy neighbors are doing everything you imagine they're doing <laughs> yes <laughs> and have the viewpoints that you imagine them having and uh, yeah oh my god uh and then of course new nightmare i mean he's sort of oh yeah trying of course, to play yeah. sort of with this uh meta horror thing before scream yeah you know? i i so. can't believe i i honestly i'm shocked we didn't think of that sooner yeah he that is uber meta that is the most like that makes that puts scream to shame in terms of like 
winking at the camera, yeah. but still being an effective movie. It's like yeah. he brought Freddy back around to being menacing while still doing kind of taking a big swing with what that script was. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, he's, he's a really, he's a filmmaker. I think you're right. He just doesn't get his, his due and he's really good. Like he's got like a really good eye and like can really construct great sequences. And... Yeah. I think it might also be that like he, you listen to his commentaries and in his, he's a very soft-spoken guy. Like he's very like low key. He doesn't have like the like cantankerous uncle vibe of George Romero or John Carpenter. <laughs> and he's not like kind of like he's not like a goofy Three Stooges fan like Sam Raimi. He's just like very chill. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, no, I make a I make a he's like George Lucas kind of in that way. It's like no, so I make a, a horror movies, you know, that was a, that was a Nev Campbell was a fan, wonderful actress. To work with, you know, <laughs> things like that. He's, he's just very pleasant uh, yeah. and and, go, and gone too soon. It was very sad yeah, when he passed away because really he, he would still be successful or not successful. He would still be making horror movies today and he'd be trying stuff that he'd want to try. Like when he wasn't trying to challenge the audience, I feel like he was a director who liked to challenge himself. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I respect that as as an artist. <laughs> uh, I respect that. <laughs> Well, but I mean, it's it, it, one of those things that, you know, we've been in this business long enough that we know that the, the times that you get to work on things that like challenge you as, as an artist yes. are rare. And the, the, the artists who go for it are even rarer in some cases, you know, yeah. I mean, Wes Craven, I think, you know, he had name recognition, but I don't think he could walk in when he was alive. I don't think he could walk into any studio and be like, hey, I'm Wes Craven. Make my movie. Not like Quentin Tarantino no, or something. No, I, like I think so. I think Scream Scream got the momentum it did to get made probably on uh, by virtue of the script. I know it yeah. was like a really hot script that Kevin Williams did. And then Kevin Williams and I, a hit show. So he had the clout. And I think either I'm not sure how it all shook out, but either he or not to give them any credit, the the Weinstein's uh, had the good sense to bring on. Like I think I remember the trailers was the first name in horror brings you that's the right. last yeah. word in terror. Like that's <laughs> yeah, great. That's, that's right. great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, the the screams opening sequence and a, a lot of sequences in the scream movies. The first three, the first four too. The four's got some great moments. Are really effective little like kind of little like filmlets in and of themselves. I mean, and then of course the first scream, the fake out with having Drew Barrymore be the first kill. Like yeah, and, so and she was just and she was forth. front and center on the posters. Too. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Scream, great movie. Scream two. <laughs> A fine movie. Scream three. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just not much to say about it. Uh, no. It's more talking about the franchise and sort of its influence. And I just think Scream three fumbled the ball. Yeah. If it was something like the Fast and Furious franchise, you could get away with a, a whiff in it now and then. But when you're trying to be the end of a trilogy where all bets are off, as they say. All bets have to be off. <laughs> and, and we're going to come back to this over and over. This might be the first one like this, where it's meant to be the third chapter in a trilogy, and it's kind of a stumble. Yeah. that's that's a, This is the beginning of that. Like, we're going to see a, that a few times over. Some of the most notable part threes that we'll be covering are the 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 chapter three of a trilogy stumble yeah i mean and it's different i mean matrix revolutions i think is really the first one we've covered so far that's actually supposed to be a a, a conclusion you know sam raimi's spider-man 3 
ended up being a conclusion, but wasn't intended to be. I mean, it's wrapping up some narrative things, but wasn't supposed to be the end of. of yeah, same, RoboCop three wasn't yeah. meant to be the end. Um, yeah. And obviously, the Halloweens are their own uh, crazy multi continuity shit show that uh, we know and love now. Yeah, <laughs> SNL writers always talk about sketches are really hard to end. That's the hardest yeah. part of sketch comedy writing is the ending of a sketch. And you see that when you watch them, they all kind of just end, you know, <laughs> that's why so many like tapes, like that's why Mr. Show or like Monty Python have like lean on the crazy transition so much. Right. And I think trilogies are kind of like that too. It can be really tough to tie it all up in a bow. So sometimes it just kind of ends with a, like just a gasp. Yeah, well, and and so many of these, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about this too, but so many of these are made so quickly in succession from the others that it's almost like you can tell the creatives are just tired. Like yeah. They've just been doing this world or, and especially stuff that involves is more special effects heavy, you know, they've just been doing it for so long. And it's just like, they just seem tired. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is a commitment to make one movie. It's a commitment yeah. to wake, make uh, one episode of a TV show. Yeah. Uh, to make three, and to make them three big movies. All the yeah. trilogies we're talking about are, like, big movies. And, you know, any big ambitious thing collapses under the weight of itself after a while. And sometimes it happens before you get to the ending. And that's I think that's what happened here. So we're keeping with horror next week and we're keeping with sort of the end of a trilogy. Uh, I, I, it's a much more spread out trilogy and it's not really even a trilogy anymore, but, uh, uh, we're going to cover George Romero's day of the dead. I've never seen it. So I'm excited. This is, yeah, no, this, uh... this will be a treat for you, Will, cause it's, it's as different from Dawn of the dead as Dawn of the dead is from night of the living dead. And it, doesn't feel compromised the way like land of the dead or diary of the dead feel right. It's it. I would say it's the high watermark of George Romero's zombie effects too. Like the makeup in this movie and the gore effects are second to none. Great. So you're going to have fun. We're going to have a good time gang. Uh, And then after that, I believe it's Will's pick. That's right. It is. Do I pick now or do you want me to pick uh, next week? Well, you, know, you pick tomorrow. You think on it. You chew on this okay. one. Because right. last time you rushed headlong into RoboCop 3 and we know how and that I turned think, out. I think that was a mistake. Yeah, I got to I gotta mull this over. And there's no more RoboCops, Will. That was our only <laughs> RoboCop. So good job. <laughs> got that out of the way. Yeah. I'll mull it, I'll mull it over. I'll mull it over. All right. But uh, All right. on that note, uh, Will, as always, a delight to ramble on with you. Uh Thank you to everyone that's been listening. Uh, you know, each week we drop one of these. We get a, a one or two more people coming on, and that always counts, and it means a lot to us. We hope we can give you a nice little diversion during the day and maybe uh, get you to go back and watch one, two, or three movies that you've never seen before or see them again in a whole new light. Like, that's me with The Matrix. I'm definitely, I see those Matrix movies in a whole new light after our discussion. Damn it, Sam, that means this podcast has been worth it. (laughs) And uh, on that note, uh, as always, I am Sam Sherrington. And I'm Will Morey. And uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, uh, we'll see you next time. See you in in zombie-ridden Florida. (laughs) 